0: I'm a dog owner, and so I realize what I'm about to say is totally biased, but it's also totally true. If you have a dog, and you take care of a dog, and you feed a dog, and you love a dog, that dog is going to interpret your actions as meaning that you are the center of their universe. Like, my dog honestly treats me like I'm God. I mean, he listens to me, he obeys me, he is completely devoted to me. But if you do the same thing for cats, take care of cats, and feed cats, and love cats, cats will interpret that to mean, oh, they are the center of the universe, and that your world revolves around them. Take care of dogs, they'll think you're God. Take care of cats, they'll think they're God. And I think what Ecclesiastes 5 is saying to us here this morning is that we're probably all a little bit more like cats than we are dogs. God takes care of us and he loves us, but we can easily interpret that as then meaning that that we are the center of the universe. Verse 1 has to tell us to watch our steps carefully when we approach God because that's not something we naturally do. We naturally are pretty casual when it comes to God because we like to think that we're the center of everything. We, we, we kind of think we're a big deal. And that the house of God here that we're supposed to be careful to guard our steps with, it's, in this context, it would have be, been the temple. It would have been where, where ancient Israelites would, would go to worship, worship God. And we know now with the coming of Jesus that he says he is the temple of God. And so our worship of God is not centered around a place, but around a person. And that person is Jesus. But the reality is we can be tempted to to take this relationship we have with God, to take this worship that we're supposed to give to God, and we have this kind of innate cat-like tendency to actually make make it all about us. And so these verses that we're going to study this morning, they, they really want to help us realign our hearts to reality. They want to teach us and train us how to be careful with how we approach and worship God. They want to help us align our hearts with reality. Webster's Dictionary defines reality as life as it really is, and, and I really like that definition. You know, our best life happens when we live life as it really is, not as he, we pretend it to be. And I just have to wonder how many of our disappointments and discouragements and dissatisfactions come because we're just living life not as it is. Like, we're expecting to be the center of the universe, For things to always work out like we want them to do. For for things to exist for our worship. But we find that we're actually now at odds with the universe because that's not how things actually are. And so these verses want to help us learn how to align our hearts with the reality of who God is. I've been telling this morning's sermon, if God is real, then... And there's going to be three fill-in-the-blanks. If God is real then there are three kind of fill-in-the-blanks that this seven verses have for us. The first one comes in the very first verse when he says, Guard your steps when you go down to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that what they're doing is evil. So if God's real, then we need to change how we listen. If God's real, then we need to change how we listen. The scene here is that there are two people who are coming to the temple to to worship God, right? And when people came to the temple, what they would do is they would offer sacrifices, that they would make these offerings. But notice, one person here is doing this with the desire to listen to God, and the other person is doing it foolishly, which in contrast would mean they're doing it not with a desire to listen to God. In other words, they're both in the same place, and they're both doing the same thing, but with very different motivations. And God cares about our motivations. God cares about our why, our reasons. He cares about what's going on inside of us, because God wants our hearts. Like, that's how he is truly honored. Last week, my friends were allowed to reopen their ice cream stand down the shore. And so our family went down to support them. And, you know, we had masks and gloves. And we were all socially distant. And it was, it was just great to be able to get outside. But don't worry, we, we were safe. Um, but imagine that, you Now, I kind of took them to that ice cream stand. And I said, all right, kids, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to you. But I'm doing this so that you now owe me. I'm doing this so that, you know, you think that I'm great. I'm doing this so that that way, you know, there's peace in the ride home. I'm doing this because, you know, I really, it's just my obligation as a dad, and I kind of have to do this, th- these types of things. So that way I can, you know, make you love me. Like, I could give them ice cream, and I could make it all about myself. But does that really make my kids feel appreciated? Right, contrast that with me going like, hey, guys, I love you so much, and so I just wanted to bless you and give this to you because you're my kids, and I care for you. You know, which one makes my child feel more valued? Right? It's the same action, but different motivations. And motivations make all the difference. Friends, God is not looking for us to perform these kind of religious duties that that then, you know, we think is somehow going to put God in our debt. Like, like if we do this for God, then he's going to do this for us. God wants no parts of that. He wants us to come near to him, to listen to him like he wants our hearts. And nothing reveals our hearts more than our willingness to listen. Nothing reveals our hearts more than our willingness to listen. What, what does it mean to listen to God? Well, people would go to the temple and, and they would hear the Holy Scriptures being read. And so the Bible is, is always presented as God's word, the Bible's presented as God speaking. I think about 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, which says no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right? This is God speaking. And now maybe you're thinking, like, well, time out. I mean, there's lots of holy books out there that, that claim to be God speaking. And yes, there are. Here's a little bit of the differentiator. It comes in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. See, the reason that we can believe that the Bible is God's word is because Jesus is God and he said it is God's word. Like, like we don't believe the Bible just because the Bible says so. We believe the Bible because Jesus says so. And the reason that we can believe Jesus is God is because Jesus said, hey, here's what I'm going to do to prove that I'm God. I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to rise again from the grave. And then he actually went and did it. And hundreds and hundreds of people testified to that even to the point of their own death. And so friends, like this is God's word. This is where we hear God speaking to us. Last week I went away to an isolated farm just to kind of, spend some time, an extended period of time listening to God. I do a lot of speaking, and so it's important for me to be replenished and for me to spend some time listening. You know, when I went there, I didn't leave my Bible behind. No, no, I brought it with me, and I spent hours and hours reading it. I I listened to multiple, multiple sermons, just the preaching of God's word. Like, listening to God did not mean that I went away to to kind of try to empty my mind. No, I went away trying to fill my mind. And I wonder just how many people watching this, you want to hear from God, but you feel like it's a struggle, and, and you feel like you don't hear from God. Friend, could it be because you're not opening his word? God wants to speak to us. Are we giving him the opportunity? This is why one of the things that we are just absolutely passionate about here at Christchurch is equipping people to be able to read their Bibles for themselves so they can hear God speaking to them. This is why we, we preach through whole books of the Bible, so that even through preaching and seeing how we work through verses, you can learn how to read the Bible for yourself. This is why we discuss the Bible in our small groups. This is why we have men's and women's Bible studies that meet throughout the week. This is why we have a class coming up on, on how to study the Bible. Like We are committed as a church to equipping people who call us their spiritual home to know how to read the Bible so they can hear God speaking. Hearing God speaking, though, is only the one part of listening. Kids, how many of you have ever heard your parents say, I know I heard my parents say this a lot growing up, hey, you are hearing me, but you're not listening to me. You're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. What do our parents mean when they say that to us? I mean, we're not obeying, right? Like, we're not doing what they say. There's no problem with our, with our auditory function. The problem is with our, our cardiac function. Like like we're hearing something with our ears, but we're not wanting to follow it with our hearts. Listening to God does not just mean hearing God, it means obeying God. God speaks about all kinds of stuff having to do with our everyday life. I mean, read the Bible, it talks about sex, sex and money, and relationships, and how we should work, and and how we should use our time, and what we should do with our families, and it even talks about the environment, and how we should care about this world God's made. It talks about all kinds of stuff. But the problem is that we can only want to listen to the parts that we agree with. I mean, how easy we can be like, well, you know, I don't think that's what God actually means, and do some mental gymnastics to get ourselves out of it. Or, 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 or we say, you know, that doesn't really apply to, to my situation. And think that we're somehow the exception to what God has said. I think the reality is we just, we just want God on our own terms. Like, we, I think we're honest. Instead of listening to God, I think we sometimes just want God to listen to us. But if God's real, friends, here's what we need to be clear. He doesn't need to listen to us. We need to listen to him. And as we do that, like, we should expect God to say challenging things to us. We should expect God to say things that rub us the wrong way, that don't jive with our thinking, that are hard to, to wrap our minds around. Like, if you're not being challenged by this book, I don't think you're reading it. If everything here looks easy, then I think you're just reading yourself into the text instead of allowing the text to read itself onto you. I mean, if God is always agreeing with us, then who's really God in that situation? Friends, if you want to have more of God in your life, and if you're watching this, I'm sure some part of you is at least curious, or, or, or maybe you are Christian and you're, you're committed, but whether you're curious or committed, if you want to have more of God in your life, then, then we have to be willing to listen to God. If we want to have more of God, then we have to be willing to listen to God. This is how we can experience God more and more in our lives. If God's real, then that needs to change how we listen. Second thing we see in this text, if God's real, then we need to change how we pray. We need need to change how we listen, and then number two, we need to change how we pray. Verse two, the author of Ecclesiastes, he moves from listening to now speaking, and he addresses how we need to speak. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter word before God, for God's in heaven and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Again, it's, it's important to have the, the temple context in mind. It's just it's overshadowing this whole text. Part, part of what someone would do in the temple is, is they would pray as they would then make their offerings. And, and sometimes these prayers, what would happen is they would end up becoming less about speaking to God and more about being heard by others. Like, that was one of the challenges they had. And, and people would be so eager to speak that sometimes they'd be jumping over one another to get these words out because they wanted to be heard as having the best prayer. And so he's telling them, hey, don't be rash. Don't don't just jump out and try to start speaking. Don't be too hasty with your words. And then people would, you know, they'd try to, to have these long, flowery prayers to to impress others. He has to remind them that they're praying to God in heaven because, honestly, they're spending a little bit more time praying for people on earth. Praying to impress others instead of praying their hearts to God. And so God, God tells them pretty, pretty clearly in verse 3, For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's word with, with many words. But business here, it means work. It's talking about our work. And saying, you know, when you work a lot, what happens? You, you sleep, you dream. It's just the natural outcome of what happens. What's the outcome of a lot, a lot of words? What happens then? You're going to be a fool. You're going to be a fool. A lot of work produces a lot of sleep, In the same way a lot of words produce a lot of foolishness. And so the person standing up and trying to impress other people with all their fiery words, God just looks down and says, Yeah, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of foolishness. You know, they're saying, oh, I, I beseech thee thou divine being in your eternal will of glory from all eternity. It's like, what are you even saying? <laughs> slow, slow, slow your roll, Captain. Who do you think you're talking to? Reminds me of the words of Jesus when he instructed us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He said, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the pagans do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Friends, this is our hearts as we pray. We we know that God is in heaven, and we know he's our father. And whatever your experience of your earthly father, God's a good father. And so that means that that he wants to hear our prayers. And so we don't need a lot of words to kind of, you know, work ourselves up into some sort of spiritual lather and frenzy to get his attention. All we need is a sincere heart. You know, my kids, they, they don't have to come to me and be like, you know, oh, great father who dwells in the house of Dickinson Street, I beseech thee that thou lets me watch more of this show. Like, no. They just, hey, dad, can we watch this right now? Right? It's, when they come to me, I hear them, not because they're using the right words. I hear them because they're my kids. I hear them because we have a relationship. I think sometimes... We can feel like prayer is like a microphone we have to use to get God's attention. You know, if we just say things right and kind of, you know, turn this microphone on and and just do things right and say it loud if we get God's attention. But listen, friends, prayer is not a, it's not a microphone we have to use to get God's attention. Prayer is a stethoscope we give for God to be able to listen to our hearts. It's not a microphone, it's a stethoscope. And I just wonder is God's listening to your heart, like, what, what's He hearing from you? What's He hearing from you? Is He hearing from you? Is He hearing you trying to impress others with these flowery, long, impressive prayers? Is He hearing you being insecure about your relationship with Him, and so you don't even want to ask Him for things, even though He said you can? Is He hearing you be self-sufficient and and not ask for help at all because you honestly don't think you need it. And so you don't really pray that much. Is he here to be arrogant and kind of man that he answer you when you want, how you want? How is God hearing from you? Friends, God wants us to come to him, not trying to be impressive with our words, but to come to him and speak sincerely from our hearts. And then as we do, he wants us to do that with a sense of remembering that, that he's in heaven and we're on earth. Right? When saying let your words be few, it's not necessarily saying that we can't pray for a lengthy period of time. Certainly seeing Jesus pray for a lengthy period of time. It's more this idea of just recognizing who we are and who he is. And so there needs to be in prayer a sincere desire expressed, but then an active trust given. Like prayer is how we make our requests known to God, And then also how we submit ourselves to God. It's how we make our requests known, and then also how we submit. Recognizing that God's in heaven and we're on earth means that sometimes we're going to pray for things that might make a lot of sense on earth, and we might see why we need them right now. But from God's perspective in heaven, the answer is going to be no, or maybe not right now. Because God is seeing things through a heavenly perspective not an earthly perspective. Listen, if God based his answers upon every prayer that was prayed on earth, then he would have answered Mary's prayer and desire for Jesus to be taken down off the cross. Like she sees her son on the cross and she's crying out. She's weeping. Her prayers for her son go unanswered because her earthly perspective was limited. God knew what he was doing in heaven. And so he knew why his answer to the prayer was no. I have a chronic illness called Crohn's disease, and it affects me in all kinds of uh, different ways. And um, I pray. I pray for God to heal me. I've been praying for God to heal me since I was diagnosed about 25 years ago. Um, And I believe God can heal me. I truly do. I've seen him heal others. Uh, We're a church that believes that the God we read in the Bible hasn't changed. He's still the God today. And so I believe that God can miraculously and divinely heal people. Uh, My doctors have told me that it is a chronic, incurable disease. But I think what doctors say on earth can't trump what God can do in heaven. And so I pray and ask for healing. Believing in God's power in heaven. But I also want to remember that God is in heaven. And so even though I have no idea why he would allow me to still carry this disease and why he would allow it to just totally sideline me sometimes, I want to continue to trust him until the day I get healed. I want to believe in his power, but I also want to submit to his plan. And so I pray for his power, God, heal me, and then I submit to his plan, Lord, your will, not mine, be done. That's what we need to be praying as we remember that God's in heaven and we're on earth means that we believe in His power, but then we submit to His plan. And then the final thing here, if God's real, it changes how we listen, it changes how we pray, and it also needs to change how we make commitments. It needs to change how we make commitments. Verses four through seven are all about making vows. And we know something about vows in our culture, don't we? Like we make vows on our wedding day. Uh, when people become members here of Christ Church, like we make vows, commitments to one another. When I became a pastor, I took on certain vows, things that I was committing to do. I mean, that's what a vow is, right? It's, it's specific and solemn commitments to carry out certain responsibilities. And as we go through life, if we are listening to God and we are praying to God, here's what's going to happen. God's going to speak to us and put things in our hearts that we should vow to do for him. If we're listening to God and praying to God, God's going to give us some commitments that he wants us to make. And it's really easy to have a desire to do things for God, but not necessarily the follow-through to get it done. Like, it's one thing to desire to do something for God, it's another thing to have the follow-through to get it done. And so he says in verse 5, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Like, he's better better to not even say you're going to do something. Than than to say, oh, I'm going to do this for you, God, and then not come through. Because that's that's treating God casually and cheaply. And that's not who God is. Verse 7 says, when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Like, it's easy to have dreams. Talk about chasing our dreams. It's easy to talk a big game. But we need to understand that when we say something that, hey, I really think God's put this on my heart and I want to do this for him, then we have just spoken before God, and we need to be very careful about what we say and what we commit to. We need to recognize that when we speak before the Lord, there should be an appropriate fear of God that comes over our life. And this is not fear in the sense of terror, but no, it's fear in the sense of reverence. It's a serious thing to make a commitment to God. But how often we can be in crisis and be like, man, God, if you just get me through this, then, then I'm going to do this for you. And we get through the crisis, and we don't do that for him. You know, or how easy it is to kind of get emotionally stirred up in a moment, and we hear something, we read something, we see something, we're like, man, you know, I'm going to change, and, and I'm going to do this thing, and then the moment passes, and we don't. But here's something we need to hear. There's a warning in this verse for us that we need to hear from God's kind, loving heart, if this is a pattern for us of not following through on things that God's asking us to do, verse verse 6 says, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? This is not the anger of meanness. No, this is the anger of love. This is God saying, like, I love you and I made you for more than what you're doing. And so you keep using your voice to talk about stuff but your hands are doing something totally different. And so God's love is like, I made you for more than that. I made you for your word to mean something. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do for us is to hinder us. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do for us is to give us setbacks. Sometimes the most loving thing for God to do to us is to frustrate our plans, even destroy the works of our hands, what we're doing because because he wants to redirect us to his divine purposes. Friends, we need to understand God has a purpose for each one of our lives. God has a purpose for each one of our lives. And there are times he's going to call you to make a commitment, to make a vow. And the most loving thing that he can do for you in that moment is to help you follow through on that commitment. Now, I need to put some, some fences around this because some of you are going to take this the wrong way. Some of you are going to be like, all right, you know, pastor told me that i got to go out and do this thing. And like, you know, tomorrow you're hopping on a plane to do, go do something that, you know, um, is probably not at all what you should be doing. Um, so let me put some, kids, here do bowling, you know, you know, you have those bumpers that go up that kind of keep the ball on the track. Let me, let me keep the ball on the track for you here. Let me put, put some bumpers up. Um, we need to, again, keep the context in view here. This is really hard for us to do as Americans with our individual mindset. But but the author of Ecclesiastes is writing this to a Hebrew culture. He's writing this to people who are gathering in the temple. And the reason they would do that is because they valued community. And so when they would go to the temple, you actually would make vows in the temple and you would make them publicly because they were not kind of private deals between you and God. No, they were... They were public experiences. They were things that you were inviting your community into. You'd be hard-pressed to find an example in the Bible of someone who does something without getting the input of their community. You even look at Paul. I mean, the great Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He stays in the church in Jerusalem until that spiritual community releases him to go elsewhere on his missionary journey he certainly had the gifts he certainly had the abilities but the community was speaking into his life and so he was humble enough to realize that that he probably didn't have a a private access to God and he needed to value how God speaks through community that's what would happen in the temple and that's what continues to happen in the new testament Friends, sometimes we can have dreams for what we think God wants us to do, but the reality is those dreams are not what God actually wants us to do. And my goodness, we need people in our lives kind of calling us on that. Like, if your mom is the only one who thinks you're a good writer, then God's probably not calling you to write. And don't start telling me all the stories of people who got, you know, rejected. And came, no, like, if your mom's your only fan of something, probably the best idea is to maybe try your hand at something else. Love moms out there, not always the best assessors of our talent. We need a community to help figure ourselves out because we're not, honestly, usually that self-aware. And and, and sometimes we need community to, to pull us back and also sometimes we need community to push us forward. Sometimes there's gifts and abilities that we have that we're lying dormant in us that we're not using and we need people to say, listen man, I really think you should be able to do that. You know, listen woman, I think that you're awesome at this type of thing and i think god could call you to step out in this way like we need community to give us that checks and balances of of the push and the pull that we can have the the bumpers that can keep us following god's purpose for our lives and so here's the point god's purpose is discovered and walked out in community God's purpose is discovered and walked out in community. And I'm making this point because I think there are so many Christians who are being held back from being all they could be for God because they're trying to go it alone. It takes a community to walk out of calling. It takes a community to walk out of calling. But then when God does give us this calling, we need to be clear what it says in verse 4. When you vow, vow to God, so when you make this commitment, do not delay in pain, it, Free is no pleasure in fools. Procrastination is the enemy of purpose. Procrastination is the enemy of purpose. So often we can have things that we think God wants us to do, and we say we'll do them, and, you know, man, I'm, I'm really, I feel, I, I need to, to just plug more into the church this way, and I need to serve in this way, but then, you know, the opportunity comes, and we just hit this news button. I'll do it tomorrow. That opportunity will be there tomorrow. We procrastinate, like we don't follow through. And, and I just have to wonder, like, how much further and faster and farther God's kingdom could go if people started doing the things that they said they would actually do for God. Like, like, how much could God accomplish on earth if their gap started to close between what we say we will do and what we actually do? What would happen, and just we took this simple step this week, of not talking about how we want to grow in sharing our faith, and actually took a step to share our faith with someone this week. Just that one simple step of obedience. What would happen if we stopped saying, like, you know, I really got to be paying more attention to the opportunities around me, and we actually did that? Friends, if God's real, then we need to take these commitments that he calls us to very seriously. He has a purpose for us. He loves us. He wants to use us. And so as we are called to make these vows, let's be people who don't procrastinate and don't put it off and and don't just go it alone, but know how to walk out the calling of God in community with tenacious commitment. But as we kind of bring things to a close here, I think there's a temptation to kind of walk away at this point and be like, all right, well, I guess I just got to try really harder. I guess this text is just telling me how God's real, then i got to change all these things in my life. And listen, if you're feeling convicted, I mean, I'm feeling convicted. This text was kicking my butt this week. Um, But if we just walk away with a desire to try harder, then we're not understanding how change actually happens. If we just walk away from this sermon, or really any sermon, with a greater sense of more self-effort that we need to put into it, then we have no idea, we're not understanding how God has set it up for us to actually grow and make progress in our Christian life. Because if we just walk away with an idea of what we have to do, how do I say this kindly? We're still being focused on ourselves. And we've completely missed the point. If we just walk away with a desire for greater self-effort, well, guess who's still the center of our universe? We are. And so the way that God has set up how we change He is so committed and passionate about us experiencing the joy of having Him as the center of all things. God is so committed to being the center of our universe that He set it up that how we change is not through greater self-effort, but rather more Christ-focus. How we change is not by trying harder. How we change is by leaning more into who Jesus is. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way. This is kind of the application point for every single sermon that you should ever hear. It says, beholding the glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you see what it's saying there? Like, Like we are transformed more and more into the image of God, more and more into reflecting his character, more and more into being the people he wants us to be. Specific to our passage, you know, we are going to be people who are better at listening, better at praying, better at following through on the purpose God's given us. How do we do that? We do that. We're transformed from one degree to another, bit by bit, by beholding the glory of the Lord. And what's this glory of the Lord that we're called to behold? God doesn't want to leave that up to our interpretation. And so he tells us explicitly, just a couple verses down in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6, the glory of God is the life the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, what is the glory of God? Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus shows the worth and weightiness and value of who God is. And so connect this together. Here's how we change. Here's how we grow. Here's how we apply this sermon and every sermon. We look to Christ. And we see who he is. And as we see more and more of who he is, oh, that's what empowers us to be the people God's called us to be. And so as we think about how we need to learn how to, to listen to God more, friends, we're reminded of how Jesus, he's the one who perfectly listened to God. He said his life was not to do his own will, but to do the will of God as Father. Father. He, he went to the cross taking on our sins and suffering the penalty and, and punishment that we deserve. Why? Out of obedience to God. He was listening to God. Jesus is the one who, who knows how it is to listen, Jesus is the one who knows when it is to pray. The night before he died, he says, God, if there's any other way, please remove this from me. Like he's, he knows God's in heaven. And that all power is God's. And so there's no prayer that's inappropriate. He uses a few words, short words, to make this, this heartfelt request known. But then he closes that prayer by saying, but not my will, but your will be done. Believes in God's power, but then he submits himself to God's plan. You want to talk about following through in commitments? So Jesus knows something about following through in a commitment. <laughs> Friends, he came to accomplish our salvation, and that's exactly what he did, and even direct temptations from Satan himself were no match to make him procrastinate or change what he had vowed to do. And so friends, if you want to experience God powerfully in your life, then how you do that is not through greater self-effort and kind of just pulling yourselves up by the bootstrap. No, what we need is more and more christ focus, and that's how we're empowered. Like we focus on what he has done for us, and that's what then allows his power to flow through us to change us into the people he's created us to be. God has set up the universe to work this way people change through becoming what they behold. Like we change through becoming what we behold. And so if we want to become someone who, who lives in reality, who experiences God, the center of our universe, then what we need to do is we need to behold Christ. More and more and more. We need to learn what it is to behold Christ christ we should never walk away from a sermon or from reading scripture with a feeling of weight Uh, we might have a feeling of sorrow we might be feeling conviction we might be feeling the need to change but my goodness friends we should be believing that there is power in christ and what he has done and so we walk away not discouraged but as people whom god puts courage into through looking to christ that's how we change We don't change through guilt and feeling bad and trying harder. We change through freedom and believing in what Christ has done for us. And so if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, Christian, I just want to remind you right now of the freedom you have in Christ. You know God is real. You know who Jesus is. And so... Don't take your eyes off of him. No, but believe in what his power can do through you. I was reading this, and I'm convicted. Man, there's ways i got to change. There's some things in my life that I need to learn to listen to God about. And so you know what? Like you, I need to get on my knees. And I'm like, Christ, show me more of yourself so you can have more of me. So, Christian, be reminded of the freedom you have in Christ. Jesus is here to change us. Let's believe in what he can do. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're listening to this, just curious, and thanks for doing that. Christ Church is always a place where it is safe for people to explore their questions about faith. I interact with people every single day through reaching out to me on social media. Man, I, please reach out. I love to answer your questions about Christ as best I can. But you know what? God's given you an opportunity right now. If you're watching this, this is a moment And I don't want to emotionally manipulate anything. But I do want to ask you to think about not letting this moment pass by. God has given you an opportunity to not just believe he's real, but believe that he wants to be real in your life through putting your faith in Jesus. And it's really not that complicated. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. All you have to do in the quietness of whatever room you're watching this in, on whatever device you're seeing this on, if you right now would just confess that Jesus is Lord, you're not Lord. You believe that he's God. And you believe he proved it by raising himself from the dead. You confess that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Friend, all you have to do is put your trust in Jesus. All you have to do is put your trust in Jesus. God doesn't need a lot of words. He just wants your heart. And so who here is willing to say, Jesus, I need you? Who's watching this that's going to make a commitment for Christ in this moment? I want to kind of close out this sermon by praying for you. So would you please bow your heads with me?